I'm Kristen McFarland, and this is Market Like a Badass. I'm the founder and CEO of the Source Marketing Group, a cannabis and craft beer marketing technology company in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to hear from a very special guest, Joe Hodes. Joe's the chief marketing officer of Wana Gummies, or Wana Brands, as they're also known. As a consumer living in Colorado the last decade, it's been really exciting um, to, to be able to bring Joe on because I got to watch Wana grow into one of the most successful edible manufacturers in the state of Colorado. And now uh, they're in 15 states, uh, Canadian provinces, just amazing expansion. Um, and in fact, Wana Brands is the number one edibles brand in North America. Edibles are among the industry's fastest growing consumer categories, as well as one of the strongest entry points for new cannabis consumers. And so I really can't wait to dive into some of the questions today and get some really interesting insights from Joe's marketing expertise. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks, Chris, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate the uh, the nice introduction. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited to be on today, and um, looking forward to talking edibles and market expansion and all things cannabis. Nice. And tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and and what you do. So um, I am a chief marketing officer of Wana, as you as you noted, and I have been with Wana for a little over three and a half years. I actually started uh, that role about the first week of lockdown for COVID. Uh, back in 2020. So it was interesting to, to start a new role in my basement um, versus being in an office. <laughs> but um, but it, is, it has been a very good thing, I think, for, for us overall in terms of the remote work. And we'll maybe get to some of that later. But um, prior to, to joining WANA, um, I have been in the cannabis industry for, uh, in total, I've been in the cannabis industry for about 10 years and started as chief marketing officer for Dixie Brands, spent about four years there, and then uh, bounced around a couple of different startups in between. And Nancy and I had met each other early, early days, like 2014, um, actually on the on the uh, Capitol Hill at uh, in Denver here, and um, had really struck up a relationship, and so uh, that's how I ended up being over at Wana ultimately in, in March of 2020. But um, in that period of time, last three and a half years, we've seen just you know meteoric growth in terms of not only the industry but but Wana specifically in terms of new markets, innovation, new products, and um, you know uh, Nancy also started the Wana Brands Foundation with about $50 million. And that's been a huge, um, huge, big uh, piece of, of not only our marketing, but also our, our brand as a whole to uh, give back to our communities. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, I, I'd be curious to learn more about that, the foundation side of things, because I think uh, the social responsibility side of things is huge, especially in our industry, because we have to be conscious and helping each other. We're we're a, an emerging and maturing industry. And so I, I think that's huge that you all are socially conscious and, and, and have the foundation. Is um, how, how does that foundation help well, so, and, and we have to be, you know, super careful, right? Because of the Buona Brands Foundation, which is a nonprofit, uh, and then there's Buona Brands. So we do mm -hmm. try to keep them pretty separately. But the Buona Brands Foundation, um, through that vehicle, and, you know, this is all Nancy's money. So it is, uh, you know, it is the part and parcel of who she is and who we are as a company. But um, we are able to do things like the $3 million um, grant that we gave to Johns Hopkins to study cannabis as well as psychedelics uh, to really enhance that. Research. Wow. Um, we use the Warner Brands Foundation in our community. So as you mentioned earlier, 15 states plus Canada and Puerto Rico. 
um, we will use Awana Brands Foundation to uh, give back to those communities, uh, depending on who our partners feel like are relevant uh, nonprofits in the area that tie to our focus on the Awana Brands Foundation side in regards to uh, food insecurity, um, social justice, inequality, um, kind of some of the issues that we tend to uh, promote. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for touching on that a little bit more because that's so important to, I think, to all of us who want to make real impacts in, in the industry, right? It, it's it's brands like Wana or Collexium, right? Who People who are doing a lot to um, encourage growth, not just in their business, but in their communities. And so that's that's huge. I was going to say thanks for letting me share it because it's important to us as well. And we, a long time ago, you know, we kind of began to realize uh, our our sort of vision and mission in terms of enhancing people's lives needed to extend far beyond the products. Of course, we believe in the power of the plant and what our products can do for people, but also we knew that reinvesting our communities needed to be part of that broader message. Yeah, it's so true. I, it's the little things that really build brand affinity as well. Like um, I've seen brands passing out flyers at, at Pride, right, that say love is my drug or um, I've seen brands supporting other community events. And I, to me, as a consumer, that means the world because, you know, I know that my dollars are going towards something good, towards a company with initiatives that that care and prop up their community. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's huge. Thanks. Now, I want to dive into a little bit more about, you know, the details of, you know, what makes Wana Brands so badass? And we're going to talk about how to build and retain a loyal customer base. Uh, but, but before we talk about uh, some of the more macro parts of the cannabis industry, we'll get micro and talk about the nuances in, in marketing and, and how brands should be thinking about marketing to really uh, even scale their businesses. And so at a high level, can you talk about the multi-channel marketing WANA does and why it's important to really understand your customer journey and which channels to invest in? Yeah, you bet. And it's, you know, kind of unique uh, for the cannabis industry. And of course, every industry thinks they're unique. But I think for us, because we have so many restrictions, limitations, and the whole world of marketing has pushed very much into, into digital, right? Because you can track it, you can reach people in, in oftentimes scary ways. Um, and and yet we as an industry don't really have access to a lot of that. So um, so a lot of what I do is actually experimenting, trying to find new channels, differentiated channels, ways for us to get in front of consumers, as well as bartenders, keeping in mind as a brand, we're a little B2B, right? We have to appeal to the buyers and the bartenders in the stores. And we're also uh, B2C in the sense that we obviously have a brand that consumers, uh, we want them to have an affinity for us and go into the store and ask for our product. So we kind of have to keep all that in mind and do it with a little bit of one hand tied behind our back. So um, in addition to experimenting, we think about, okay, where's the, the greatest um, potential uh, return that we're going to get on the dollars that we spend? And the obvious answer to that is in the stores, right? Because the consumer's in the store already. They're going to buy a product. And we also know that as much as we do outside the store to try and convince that consumer when they walk in that they want wanna, all it takes is, you know, one sale, one bud tender, one um, you know, display that, that catches someone's eye and we lose that potential sale. So we have to look at both sides of that equation. So we invest really heavily in the store. And I often I'm talking about the fact that it, it shocks me, but but swag is our, our actually largest line item in my budget because um, yeah. we do a lot of a lot of brand building through that, right? We have great Hey, um, right here. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> pins, yeah. I picked um, up this pin right in store. So you're absolutely <laughs> right. 
Yeah, and that's a big, big piece of what we have to do to keep our brand top of mind and to keep these blood tenders engaged. But it also is a little bit of the um, the honey that helps the medicine go down because we, we pair a lot of what we do in store for blood tenders with training. So um, we invest extensively in multiple training platforms, see talent, Zoltrain, Learn Brands. We're doing a lot with all of those platforms to get our product information and education out to blood tenders and to incent them to engage in it, right? Because we we know it really is, it, it's serving two purposes. On the one hand, it's, it's educating so they can do a better job of talking to consumers about the products and why they're unique and what makes them special. But it's also marketing, right? We're in front of them um, for, you know, let's say five to 10 minutes in some of these different uh, training modules that gives us the ability to speak to them directly. Uh, and we think that's really important. So in store, uh, we look at consumer pull through. So how are we reaching that consumer outside of the store? And it's the sponsorships. We talked about the local engagements. Uh, we, uh, we sponsor various um, events around, uh, around the country because we're in, in each of these markets in a very specific way. So in Colorado this summer, we did um, a great partnership with PBS 12. So we were at Red Rocks with those guys for their summer concert series. Um, and I went to a couple of those uh, shows and worked the booth. And it was, it was amazing how many people just were so excited to see that we were there and we were handing out great swag, of course. And uh, one lesson we did learn is we need to invest in some rain ponchos for next year because if you ever oh, yeah. in the summer, it's always pretty <laughs> dicey. But um, <laughs> so that's for next yes. year. Yes. Hopefully no one steals that idea. But um, and uh, and then, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, we, it's, uh, it can be brutal doing outdoor events in, in Colorado. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Red Rocks in particular. It's like such a weird little microclimate, like storm comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden the wind's taking our tents. And yeah, it was interesting. Um, so. Uh, but like in uh, in Detroit, we um, had partnered with the Downtown Detroit Partnership uh, several years ago, and they hosted the Grand Prix this past year. And so we had signage and, and branding at the Grand Prix, which was which was really cool. So interesting ways like that to keep top of mind outside of the dispensaries, uh, and then engaging consumers also in things like our Enhance Your Summer campaign this this year. We are yes capturing email addresses and building our database that way, but we're also engaging consumers to enter to win, to um, encourage them to continue to, to purchase products for more uh, entries. So we're, we're thinking about all of those various channels. And you mentioned multi-channel. It was kind of a new term that I had learned a few weeks ago. Um, I'd always refer to omni-channel, meaning that there are multiple channels. They all work together. It's like a nice big, you know, as you mentioned earlier, journey, right? And that we be able to map it. We don't have the luxury of really being able to connect all those dots. So it's really multi-channel. They kind of work in concert with one another, but it's not all connected the way that I would like ideally in the future. I think, yeah, compliance and regulations and all the hurdles that make it hard to do really full omni-channel right now. But um, it sounds like you all are doing a lot to really engage the community. And I'm sure that's helping with customer acquisition. And I'm curious what's been the most helpful in driving customer retention and loyalty Um do the in-store demos help with that as well, or does customer loyalty look different for you all? Well, there, there's really two two primary um, areas that I point to for this. One is that we invest in innovation, so we are creating products that that just don't exist uh, in other brands, and so that is one way to create consumer loyalty, right? Because if we're the ones who make the product that really works for a consumer, they're going to come back for that product. So I wish I could say that's marketing. And, you know, really all of it is part of the brand. Creating differentiated products that are effective is, is of course, part mm -hmm. of who we are. But we recently launched, for example, our Calm product, uh, Quick Calm. It is a one milligram THC product that's meant to address you know, anxious feelings and spinning thoughts. And uh, we 
we did this knowing that, you know, one milligram products don't always um, sell longer than dispensary because the bud tender sees one milligram. They're like, oh, who wants one milligram? It has done surprisingly well. The, the feedback has been tremendous from bud tenders as well as consumers in terms of how it's helping people live um, better lives. So, um, so it's creating unique, differentiated, and innovative products. That's one way we build loyalty. Two, we talk to people. We create really engaging educational content. We are informative. So we have a very, um, a very robust editorial calendar. Our emails, our social, um, our all of our owned platforms, the website. We kind of work them all together as best we can to keep our consumers informed when we're launching a new market or we are putting new products into an existing market because that's a big piece of what we do to engage our consumers. Um, you know, inevitably when we post like we did about Quick Calm, when we launched that in Colorado only, you hear from people all over the country, when's it coming to Illinois? When's it coming to Maryland? Um, so we're able to, I think, engage consumers in that way and keep one at top of mind because we have a, a constant drumbeat of new products and new market launches. Yeah, very true. And consistency and, and quality of the product. I think that's what's kept me as a consumer always going back because there's a lot of stuff out on the market to try. And, and surely there's a bud tender that'll recommend some new edible or this or that. But then Wana gummies are just so consistent. I know the high I'm going to get, you know, and um, the flavors are good. And I think that's partly been why I've been such a loyal customer all this time too. It's like, man, I know that that product is going to be kick-ass every time. And that's something you all have done very well. Thank you. Yeah. We, we really focus on, we have a whole team of people that focus just on our expansion markets. When we take a product and move it into a new market, I mean, we have really tight SOPs. We have a whole team of people that work with our partners to make sure that we are meeting the same consistency and quality measurements that we do in Colorado. So it's a big part of our operational um, uh, uh, group in terms of WANA and how we bring these new products to other markets. Yeah. And what's what's been some of the biggest hurdles for expansion? You know, I think early on it was everything from the contracts, right? So, um, you know, early days, you, you don't know what you don't know. And we were kind of mm-hmm. some of the pioneers in, in creating this expansion model. Um, and so, you know, contracts were not as clear as they needed to be or as tight. Like something comes up and you're like, well, what does it say in the contract? Oh, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't envision this happening. So it's not in the contract. Um, so, you know, those were, I think, some of the hurdles initially. Um, but I think, you know, down the road, it's, it's market conditions. It is the changing dynamics of the industry. So, you know, you have a contract, you have a revenue share agreement. Partners, you know, see dynamic shifts in the market where there's price compression, or whatever. So they have to go back to the table and renegotiate those things. And in some cases, you know, when we announced our our deal with Canopy, we had a partner that that decided that they, you know, they didn't want to help build our brand as part of Canopy. So um, we had to find a new partner that takes us out of markets, right? Uh, Florida, Arizona, Maryland, we all had changing partnerships there, and so that's really painful because you've built uh, a certain presence and a following and then all of a sudden you have to like come out of market for six months to a year even um so those are some of the things that are really difficult that's extremely challenging and so yeah if you're listening to this and and you're scaling and you're hitting bumps in the road just know that we are not alone feel validated everybody goes through this it's part of the growing pains i think is as you scale and expand it's just we're we're going to hit some of those barrier barriers and hurdles um what about for for if you're a small brand and you know, you, you have a limited, very small, limited budget. 
what what solutions can you offer for incentivizing or educating bud tenders about products um, so they can sell more in store, especially if you don't have the budget for like custom training or something like that? Yeah, I you know, that's a great question. And a couple of things I would say. One, backing up a little bit from the training is I think I think brands sometimes feel like they have to be as, you know, as pervasive in a market as possible. And unfortunately, that's really expensive and hard to do. I, I believe in start, you know, kind of starting small and really growing that base from, you know, three stores to six stores to 12 stores and then scaling appropriately from there, because I think it's it's really hard to be all places at once when you're of a certain size. Right. So that's one. Thing. Yeah. But two, leverage your leverage your technology partners. I mean, see talent. We just started working with them pretty recently, but they're very reasonably priced, um, you know, depending upon the market like Illinois, they have darn near close to 100 percent of that market. So when your um, training can get into their platform and be disseminated across multiple dispensaries simultaneously, um, that's a super helpful way to scale. Um, I think um, looking at, let's say our partners at Zoltrain, they help us by creating mobile friendly training, right? So it's very almost Instagram-esque. You're just you know, scrolling through on your phone, super easy for the bud tenders. Thinking about bud tenders um, from the standpoint of they are, uh, they've got a ton of products they have to know. There's a lot of knowledge out there that they have to, to gain. And they have a lot of companies talking to them, you know, all the time. So um, thinking about your content and making sure that what you're doing is creating engagement, that it is uh, interesting, but also educational. So thinking about it from that perspective is really important as well. Yeah. And educational and uh, in the sense that like they'll actually engage with it and care about the training. Zoltrain does do a good job about making the user experience really interesting and something like uh, like you feel like you are scrolling more of an Instagram app like you mentioned versus, you know, oh, I have to do this training. And so there's a lot of creative and fun ways that you can go in there and incentivize um, and get somebody at the point of sale to advocate for you and your brand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do do some unique things like, yes, we do samples because that's important. You know, you want to incent people, uh, bud tenders, by giving them samples once they've completed your training. But like what we're doing in Illinois is we made a custom limited edition hat. So if if a dispensary gets 80 percent of their bud tenders to take the training, we're delivering hats to that store. Right. So it's an oh, nice incentive and value that's kind of unique and something that they would really want. So we think about it from the standpoint of what's what's going to be appealing to the bud tender as well. I love that idea. That's, that's really cute. And again, it's custom at, it, you know, per hat, it, once you order a certain quantity, they, they come down and, and price, but it's just yeah. something memorable that actually, you know, is unique and gets people encouraged and incentivized without it costing you an arm and a leg. Yeah. And, and I get it, right. You know, even if, if the hats aren't that expensive, it's still a budget line the line item, right. And not everyone mm -hmm. can do that. So there are ways to, to scale it down from there. Maybe it's, you know, delivering cupcakes to the store, whatever it is, right. There, there are certain ways to incent and it's, you know, people are looking for that. They want to be challenged. They want to, you know, they want to win things. Right. So yeah, kind of fun. Yeah. It's surprise and delight will go a long way. I mean, I I've done that back way back over a decade ago uh, for Qdoba, right. Bringing samples, different environment, different company, <laughs> different business. But again, um, just giving, getting in there and, and pounding pavement sometimes and showing face is a good way to really build that rapport yeah. and actually get people uh, that will be an advocate for you. Yeah. So, so now I want to pivot slightly to, to email cause I'm a big email geek and you previously mentioned um, some success with, you know, converting more customers to your email program. 
So can you talk about how you capture email data and how you use that data to nurture, educate, and convert more business? Sure. You know, we, well, first of all, from a technology standpoint, we use Klaviyo. Um, oh, nice. Love Klaviyo. We don't probably, we probably do not use 50% of the features that we could, I'll be honest. And we're not using it like a CRM. We're probably not fully utilizing drip campaigns the way that we should, but um, nonetheless, um, on the on the email marketing side, I think we do an amazing job of creating really visually engaging and interesting content. We we are really clear on what times are best to send out, how much information to send out, um, but we're constantly evolving it too. So for the Wanna Brands Foundation, for example, um, we decided we were just going to include at the bottom everyone like a little ticker. You know, this is how much Wanna Brands Foundation has donated to these organizations this month. So just a constant reminder and, and gives people something that. Um, they can always look for in our emails. Uh, but in terms of building that database, it's it's taken a while, and we haven't always been as focused on it as we are now. Um, but really what I instruct our team to do is every single engagement, if I'm giving someone a, a hoodie at, a, at Red Rocks, I want their email address. I mean, yeah. it seems like a fair, it's a fair trade, right? The Absolutely. Their, their email <laughs> address, so... Um, so we're really focused on making sure that we are, um, I don't want to say transactional in that, but you know, that we're, we're understanding we're giving something of value and we'd like to get something of value back. So, uh, our summer campaign this summer has been our best, um, email capture, uh, of, of our history. So, you know, we're able to then bring them into our system, get them into our emails, you know, which is obviously going to lead to better information about who we are and where we are and what we're doing. Um, and then we, of course, tie that to our socials, which has links to our website, you know, just trying to keep that, I call it the web, right? Keep that web uh, kind of fresh for everybody on a regular basis with content and education. Um, and once they're in there, you know, we, we see pretty, pretty low um, opt-outs. So it's kind of cool. Hey, that's huge. That means you're doing something right. You're keeping them engaged. You're sending relevant messaging. And to your point, you now have them in your web, whether you're driving them back to a landing page to talk about a new product that is coming out in their local market. I mean, there's a lot of really cool, um, really cool targeted campaigns that you can do. And then, you know, as you grow into, you know, even larger solutions, I just was on a call with uh, Cordial. And they have some really cool op options where you could be at a competitor dispensary. And if somebody opens the email and they're within a certain distance, now they're getting, you know, certain custom coupons or custom information yeah. uh, to encourage them to either buy your product or stop into your dispensary. And there's a, a lot of really cool stuff out there. So I encourage, you know, everyone to be um, more thoughtful about getting those emails again, because uh, it doesn't take much. And if you're already giving away swag or something else, if you're at an event, you know, do a bong giveaway and collect emails. Native Roots does a good job about that. Um, I think it's an easy win because, you know, we have such limitations and restrictions at the top of the funnel with social media that, again, if you can dial in and make use of the data, um, you know, you can do a lot more. Well, and make it as, as frictionless as possible, right? So mm -hmm. if you're going to want someone to stop and fill out a, a big old form and it's going to take them five minutes, they're not going to do it. If all you say is, I just need your email address, right? Just get that one little piece, right? And then you can figure out, okay, what's the age? What's the demographics? You know, how, what else can I, can I get them involved in? But I think if you make it, you know, as frictionless as possible, you're going to have a lot greater success. Yeah. Yeah, making it, uh, let you know, if you can make it three or less questions on your form, you're going to have way more form fills. And 
Uh, and to your point, you can always um, append that data and, and uh, get more first party data after the fact, right? And, and send surveys and get people to fill that out and provide first party data that will be very valuable. But um, yeah, I appreciate that, that, that real world insight because I, I think that's huge and will be uh, interesting to see how people, again, continue to grow and monetize their, their customer list. So let's talk a little more macro. We'll talk about just growing the cannabis market as a whole. Um, but before before we dive too macro, uh, I want to talk, if you're a small business, you have limited budget, what marketing channels would you really focus on to deliver maximum impact for the business? In-store, in-store, in-store. I mean, there, there's, there's no other answer to that, in my opinion, because... Any of the other, you know, marketing formats. Let's say it's advertising. Let let's say it's email campaigns. Whatever those things are, the the conversion on that and the waste inherent in those platforms is significant. So if you're mm-hmm. going to invest money, make your products look amazing on the shelf. Focus on creating those bud tender relationships. Really, you know, start store by store and build it up that way, um, versus investing, you know, ten thousand dollars a month in a, uh, a programmatic ad campaign or something like that because it's a waste at that point. So my, my budget would always go to the in-store because I know they're in the store and they're going to buy a product. So let's convert them at that point rather than trying to you know, convert them when they're not even thinking about cannabis. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You're otherwise you're spending a lot of money trying to change opinions and win hearts and minds really at the top of the funnel where you're going to have a harder time with those conversions. I agree. Yeah. And so what about in, in markets where it's a race to the bottom in terms of price? Um, how, how can brands continue to scale and grow? Is it community, product differentiation? I, I think in, in terms of the, the price compression that we see in just about every market, and we see it almost like clockwork now, new market launches, everyone's excited because prices are up here and things look healthy. Six months later, oh shit, you know, price <laughs> yep. compression, what are we going to do? Um so we, we've got that playbook, which is good. And we're able to help our partners from that standpoint because we know what's going to happen. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Um, but, you know, in terms of like, how do you combat that as a brand? I think, I think the hardest thing to do there is to not capitulate. And in order to not capitulate, you have to have a reason to, to command a premium. We, you know, want to, we position ourselves as a premium product because we invest in things like organic ingredients and tapioca syrup and it's vegan and, we have a uh, custom terpene blends of 30 plus terpenes compared to most edibles like five, right? So we have all the proof points to say like, okay, you're going to pay a couple of bucks extra, but here's why, right? And back to your point, Chris, yep. about, you know, why you come back to Wana. We, we also know that consumers, you know, they want to spend their money wisely. And so um, just because something's cheap doesn't necessarily mean they're going to enjoy it. And so, you know, what's the value in that, right? So we really try hard to, to resist that, that urge to, to start price matching and, and kind of hit that race to the bottom because we know that it's really, really difficult to come back from. Now, we know that there are market economics, right? And that's just the reality. So we have to consider, you know, we can't be 50% more than the next closest thing on the shelf, right? And there's some great products out there that we compete with too. So um, we do try to use um, discounting and promotions um, effectively. So uh, it's not one is always on sale because that's not good for your brand either. But right. we do it. Um, we do it in very strategic ways and work with our partners to ensure that. Oh, if we're gonna, you know, run this big discount, you know, let's let's carry all the SKUs, right? Let's bring in um, more uh, points of distribution for our products so that we can, 
um, then run the promotion more effectively. So we try and pair our sales and our marketing pretty tightly together in that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the product differentiation is huge. And to me, I think the brands that are standing out and scaling faster are the ones that really, they know who they are. They're confident in that. And they know the niche that they serve. Like you said, okay, it could be a couple dollars higher, but this is why, or, you know, with Collexium, they, their brand differentiation is, Hey, we're really focused on our uh, products for women, right. Who are sometimes overlooked in cannabis. And we we're really orienting our messaging and our product there, but the, the people who are unclear or trying to be for everyone, I think are, are sometimes the ones that are struggling. So you know, again, figuring out your niche and, and who you are and, and, you know, not really compromising on, on that. Um, to your point, you're, you're not Subway. This is not the $5 foot long discount model. And, you know, some brands may choose to adopt that kind of discount model and always be racing to the bottom. Other brands don't have to do that because they they have that product differentiation and, and things that are going for them that allow them to maybe be at a little bit of a higher price point. And I, I think the market as a whole is beginning to stride a little bit more. So the, the brands that are really the value oriented, you know, lowest price point, 100 milligrams for as cheap as you can get, um, you know, that's their play, right? And they know it's a mm -hmm. volume play and they have to continue to, to crank that kind of volume. So it's painful if they see a dip in their, in their total volume. Then you have the mid-tier and then you have a more premium brand. And I think we're beginning to see that and the consumers are beginning to recognize that. Well, I think the biggest challenge for some brands like us has been retailers sometimes don't I like to say they don't really give the consumer uh, enough benefit of the doubt to be able to make those differentiations because we have we have retailers who are like well we want to price all of our gummies at fifteen dollars on the shelf or whatever it is right so how can you help us get to that fifteen dollar price point we're like but, but that that's not who we are and the consumer that's a, an important cue for the consumer if all of your products are priced exactly the same how you know that's a that's a really difficult thing for them to understand quality or differentiators or there has to be some element of a pricing that, that figures into that. So helping our retail partners understand you can get more margin, the consumer is willing to pay for these products. You know, that's something that we are constantly battling. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cause yeah, I, at this point, I never actually look at <laughs> the pricing on the gummies just because I've tried so many. I just know, okay, I want that. You know, <laughs> this is what I'm buying because I, I like as, I've tried, as I've tried, <laughs> as I've tried others, they're just, again, to your point, maybe it's a volume play, but the flavor is terrible. You know, the high isn't that good. And so um, I've gotten to the point as a consumer where, you know, to me, I'm not even turned off by that, by that dollar. I really care about that quality and consistency. And I think, um, yeah, that's something you guys really have knocked home. Yeah. Thank you. We need more people like you though. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, now you mentioned a great theme around growing the pie when we, I think when we talked last week, right. Instead of stealing mm -hmm. the pie. Right. And in relation to the industry, right. There's, there's more pie in terms of consumers that, that might be entering the market. And so when, when looking at innovation and where consumers are headed, how do you think product innovation will pull in new consumers to the industry? Oh man, it is so critical to our business model and to the future of the industry, because I think what we've seen over this last, let's say, year and a half, where we've seen you know pretty precipitous declines in most markets, except for brand new markets, which are just growing. And I'll take that off the table for a second, but is that you know we're we're a little bit maxed out in terms of the that core consumer who knows cannabis, loves cannabis, consumes cannabis on a regular basis. Um, it seems like we've kind of in in some cases hit a little bit of limit, and or 
which is still competing with the illicit market where that consumer potentially is, is purchasing more of their product. So, um, and by the way, not for today, we'll talk about another time, but DAD9, that whole industry segment also is now competing yeah. with the, the regulated market. So, so what's the best way to continue to grow? Well, we have to reach new consumers. And the only way to do that is to reach them with products that are meaningful to them and effective for them. And, uh, and our belief is, you know, they're very use case oriented. So I mentioned our quick calm. Um, we have a great pair of sleep products because we recognize for sleep that a lot of people had issues falling asleep and a lot of people have issues staying asleep. So we bifurcated that. So we now have two products, a fast asleep and a stay asleep. The fast sleep is great for, it's a lower dose product. It's really good for people uh, like my 81 year old mom, who is not a heavy cannabis consumer and doesn't want to wake up, you know, feeling weird in the middle of the night or groggy in the morning. So it's a great product for her um, and others like her. Uh, and that's, that's what's going to bring new consumers in because as they begin to realize like, okay, it's, first of all, I like to say we give, we really give people permission to use cannabis by creating products that are not just about getting high, which is great. Like we make those products too. And we love those products and that's all part of enhancing people's lives. But um, for a new consumer who maybe doesn't think about it that way, I want to give them a reason to try our products and also find the efficacy of, of the plant. So um, I don't see any other way to growing this industry without understanding the consumer need and beginning to think of ourselves as health and wellness companies, not just party companies. Yeah. Well, and there's there really is so much opportunity. I, um, as somebody who works in cannabis and craft beer, I was at craft craft brewers conference and mile high labs is there promoting their CBD soda sodas for the uh, sober mm -hmm. curious, right? Because not, there's a lot of people that are, are like, you know, I, maybe I'm California sober. <laughs> um, you know, I still want to go to the craft brewery, but I want something, you know, that that's different. Or there's like the canned beverage that's low dose. And for my friend who doesn't have, you know, she doesn't, she's not a regular smoker, doesn't like the really high dose items. Like those are, to your point, great ways to now get these new consumers coming in that, that are okay having the low dose. And, um, you know, they're, they're becoming, you know, wildly accepted now because it's like, oh, this is great. It's got two and a half milligrams or this or that. And I just feel kind of, you know, I, I feel a little better, but I'm, I'm, I don't feel high. Right. And, and I think that that's going to be explosive in the future to see, um, more of the, the low dose and even, well, cross baiting as craft beer and cannabis start being able to play nice a little bit. There's, there's just a lot to think of for the future. Yeah. I, you know, as a consumer, I've, I've always said that I, you know, I didn't fully understand when there, when there was a whole rash of like, wines and beers that were cannabis infused and I'm, i was thinking to myself as a craft beer drinker i like my beer and my weed like together yeah. like they don't, they don't have to be the same thing like i'd rather have a really good craft beer and an edible or and a joint or you know so i think i think thinking about it in terms of really understanding the consumer interest in mm -hmm. it and and targeting that and, and really great creating products and and cross promotions that are that are good for them is is really the, the future do you all see yourself partnering with consumption lounges to help get some of that new market and educate them or? Consumption lounges is interesting um, because to, to date the, the models that, that I have seen, and I'm not, you know, I haven't been to a ton to be honest. So I, I don't, not like super aware of everything going on in every market, but the various models I've seen, a lot of them are, are, strictly cannabis consumption lounges right so you go there to to smoke or dab or you know eat an edible and um i think 
the the broader market isn't necessarily looking for that. They're looking for an integrated experience where I can have a drink if I'm with people that like to drink, or I can have cannabis if I want cannabis, and mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. super smoky. And I, I haven't really seen a model that 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 meets that need. I think from a tourism or a special one night out kind of thing, people are, are going to experiment with that. People who are not normal regular cannabis consumers, but um, but I think until we really have a way to create an environment that's kind of welcoming to all and more mainstreamed and integrated. I don't know if it's going to be a huge uh, boon for, for, uh, for cannabis. I think for on-prem and things like that, like drinks yep. in certain formats, I think will be, will be big. But, um, but I think for, for edibles, our, our bigger focus is really on creating the, the products that are meaningful from a use case standpoint. And so they're not going to go to a consumption lounge to try their sleep product. But yeah, <laughs> very true. I know I do want to try the one that keeps you asleep longer because that's huge. Um, I haven't. I don't know that I've had that one specifically yet, and and that that would be very helpful. Or even the one you mentioned um, for anxiety with L-theanine. I mean, again, just you know those naturally occurring um, things that help you know with anxiety already. I, I think that's huge, and I'll be interested to to try some of those just to you know see how that makes me feel too. Yeah, well, let me know if you try them. I, I absolutely will. Yes, I, I look forward to that. I love a good sleep. <laughs> hard hard to get as an entrepreneur sometimes. <laughs> um, all right, got a couple more questions. I'm going to put you on the spot in our lightning round, just and then we'll and then we'll wrap up here. But um, I, I got to put you through this five questions. You've got ten seconds to answer. Uh, are you ready? No, I, I suck at lightning rounds. Just so you're oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we got, but it takes me more than 10 seconds, but I'll try. (laughs) All right. You got to try your best here. Uh, What game show do you think you could win? None. I suck at game shows. (laughs) Who's the most famous person you've ever met in your career in cannabis? Um, probably Snoop. I mean, you know, he's, he's pretty darn famous and, um, you know, got to meet him, got to, got to meet little John. Um, that was kind of cool, you know, but, that's about it. That's about the nice. Snoop. I should have known that Snoop would have been, you know, that that's. Oh, he's, he's so like, he just rides up here. Like he just was exactly as you would expect, like super nice guy, but like, you know, Hey, what's up? You know, just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, that's, that's very cool. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten as, uh, as a business leader? Um, I, I think it's to, it's to listen more like employees, uh, managers, people you have conflict with maybe just listen more and, and to understand kind of their perspective and where they're coming from. It helps me to be a, a better manager and a leader. Wow. That's good advice. And, uh, I think we could all take that, uh, just be more it's empathetic hard. and listen. Yeah. It's hard though sometimes. Cause you know, you, you hear somebody and immediately their brain's thinking either of a response or why are they saying what they're saying? And, you know, it's easy to get defensive and inside yourself. So pure listening and really being able to absorb it is, is a challenging thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. What's the cause or purpose you deeply believe in? Um, well, I, I, I would say, um, I think the issue of food insecurity, um, I've been on the board of volunteers of America in Colorado for about a dozen years now, um, and for 20 years we've had a, a Meals on Wheels route. Um, my family has, you know, really um, knowing how difficult it is for people, you know, and there, there's homelessness tied to that, right? But that's such mm-hmm. a big issue, and I don't, 
I honestly feel frozen by that. I don't know what to do in regards to homelessness. Not that it's you know all on me, obviously, but I I feel like you know food food insecurity is is a big piece of that. It's something that we can chip away at. Can can give a person a meal and know that you know at least they've had food that day. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I would say that that's a big area. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I've done even nonprofit events raising, you know, food for for homeless people in Colorado. And you, when you look at the numbers, it's scary how many people that might go without, you know. And um, I think that's huge. And thank you for shedding some light on that today. Well, yeah, and and not just the go without, but like we did, we partnered with We Don't Waste. I don't know if you're familiar with them here in Colorado. Oh, I've not but, heard of uh, them. Oh, great organization. Just amazing. And, and they do, they set up in neighborhoods, uh, basically a, a free food thing. And they, uh, they take either food that is going to go to waste from, from other companies or in some cases companies sponsor and allow them to come and shop for wholesome and healthy foods. Right. So more, proteins, uh, more organic things so that, because that's another issue as well. So maybe I can feed my family, but I don't, I'm not happy about what I have to feed them and what is in the area and available to me. So these are really good little pop-up events that allow people to access um, food they might not otherwise have access to. Wow. That's incredible. I'm going to have to check them out. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, and the, the last ones, what's your secret talent? I cook. I mean, I don't oh, know nice. secret talent, but I'm, I, I like to cook and I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at it for the most part. My family seems to like it. So heck um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Cooking. Nice. Yeah. As long as they're not complaining, well, <laughs> it sounds like you're a good cook. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice yeah it's a good way to unwind have you ever done infused cooking no i haven't um and mostly because i i don't i wouldn't even know where to start and, I, and i'm a big like believer in very specific dosing so i yep. haven't really thought about that so nice well yeah that 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 might be a challenge i have to take on sometime <laughs> all right joe thank you so much you made it through the lightning round and and thanks again for coming on as our guest i'm really excited to just see what what wana does next and um you know again where you grow even internationally um and just to see the business evolve so i'll be cheering you on so grateful you join me on the podcast today and for our listeners if you want some really amazing amazing badass gummies check out wannabrands.com see where you can pick some up and if you need quick links check out our market like a badass show notes i'm gonna put links to to uh, wana's company social handles as well as uh, joe's linkedin that way you can stay connected uh, but joe in your own words please tell our audience where they can find you and and more information on wana Sure. Well, you, you just mentioned the most important one for Wana, which is WannaBrands.com. Uh, a lot of great information on the website. And uh, and then for me, it's at Joe Hodas uh, for most most of my handles. So i um, happy to connect with folks. And Kristen, thank you so much for having me on and for uh, helping to, to bring some light to what Wana's doing. And I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to drop this information in the show notes. Our listeners can find you and otherwise follow us on Apple or Spotify or go to marketlikeabadass.media for the latest episodes of Market Like a Badass. 